Welcome Spartans to Podcast Evolve, your home for Halo. I'm your host today, David, and with me today is Aaron. Hi guys. Oren. Hello everyone. And Krista. Hello. Alrighty then. This week's episode are the character dossiers as discussed, and today we are focusing on the faces of Oni, even though one of them probably doesn't really have a face. And when do we really see faces of Oni people anyway? That's true. Most of the time they're in books. <laughs> I just meant they were sneaky and... Oh yeah, okay. That too. Also, yeah, sneaky, sneaky, sneaky Oni. Before we get started, welcome to the show if you are new. Pockets Evolved is a host with a variety of shows. So this is our main show that you're listening to where we talk about Halo News, lore, and the listeners. We also talk to them too. Our other shows are Mission Debrief, the Halo Book Club, and Builds with Blocks. You can go check out all of them on our awesome website, halopodcastevolved.com. And that hosts all of our other podcast shows and streams and, and whatnot. we got loads of stuff on there for you to listen to. If you're already a fan of the show, we ask that you rate us and leave us a review. We greatly appreciate all the feedback we can get and obviously every, every little helps there and, and getting our show out there. If you're interested in the Halo Championship series or are a fan of esports in general, check out HCS Pro Talk with Josh and Will. That's a new kind of collaboration we have going on, so we're very excited to have those guys on board with us. You can find them all in your favorite podcast feed and app of choice. We would like to take this moment to thank all of our patrons. You guys are pretty much amazing and you've kept us going for so long, even with the world being in a shitty state. So guys, thank you all so much to our patron members. You, you guys, Thank you! Yeah, you guys rock. So if you would like to be a patron, you get all the exclusive stuffs. We get rewards, daily episodes, unique swag, access to our own soundtrack. That's right. We have a soundtrack that's 18 songs and it's amazing. So amazing. Go over to patreon.com slash Halo Podcast Evolve to learn more if you're interested. And finally, we would like to encourage our listeners to support us on Audible if you would like to. Audible has a whole host of stuff on there they have almost all of the halo novels in one place along with thousands of other books guided wellness programs and way more honestly there's a crap ton over there on audible if you're interested the url should you find yourself intrigued enough to do is audibletrial.com slash podcast evolved that gives us a little bump so if you're interested go use that link for us and that will get you a week i think it's a month is it a week trial yeah it's your first month Okay, so really quick, we will talk to each other. That's what we do sometimes. Ew, what? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's kind of been a while, the four of us on the show. So in terms of the last week on the Halos, Aaron, I see, has a non-Halo thing. So does Oren. Chris is probably the same. Although, Krista, you, you tend to play Halo somewhat. So let's start with you. Krista, have you got any Halo news for us? Uh, you know, I play a little uh, Halo 5 every now and then. I like to play uh, Big Team Battle Fiesta. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that you could do that combination. Oh, it's amazing. It's just kind of my, like, oh, I have, like, you know, 30 minutes to play games in between, like, whatever I'm doing, you know? I come home from work, I have, I'm meeting someone, I can sit down and play a couple rounds. So that's what I do quite a bit, actually. It's it's a lot of fun. I, I like it. It's good. But when I do do actual gaming, I'm playing Co- Knights of the Old Republic. <laughs> Excellent actual gaming so halo's not actual well like actually like proper sitting down for like 20 hours that's hardcore and an amazing game i haven't played it in so long but i was obsessed with that game that series the second one's really good too 
I've started the second one. I finished the first one. Those game, these games have aged quite well, and I think it's because they use a turn-based like D and D system. Yeah, yeah. That's got it's it's still very very good. And then the dialogues, like everything else, is just walking around, dialogue, talking to people, persuasion checks, that kind of thing. So. It's very Mass Effect. Did you recognize any of the voices? Because I was about to say that there's so many reoccurring voice actors. One of the characters, it's very Mass Effect in the fact that you have like a crew. So one of the first characters you meet is this gentleman and he's voiced by Caden from Mass Effect 1. Mm-hmm. And the other character you meet is another lady and she's voiced by Jennifer Hale who plays Shepard in Mass Effect 1. And I'm like, all right, this is just Mass Effect. What the hell? There's even more than that. There's about two or three more like reoccurring characters that are, that come out throughout the Bioware games, even through dra- um, Dragon Age and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, but it's just like this is just Mass Effect. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, what? It- Star Wars Mass Effect. Here we go. Speaking of Mass Effect and spacey stuff, Orin the Mang, you're playing the Outriders video game. Tell me about that, bad boy. So yes, Outriders came to Game Pass on April Fool's Day. That wasn't a joke. It's uh, it's there, and it was a little tile on my homepage, and I was like, sure, I'll download it. I've heard some hype about it. I did not play the demo. Hopped in. It took me took me two days to do the tutorial because of the servers, but once I got through the tutorial and I picked my class, I ju- uh, jumped into the story, and I'd say I was pretty immediately hooked on like the story pretty intrigued by it. I think they're doing some interesting things, how they're showcasing and and opening up this this new world and this new environment to uh, new players. Yeah, I'm pretty engaged. I'm enjoying it. Only like level seven or eight or something. So, still very early on. I picked the uh, Technomancer, which is uh, kind of focused on freezing enemies, poisoning enemies, as well as like setting up defense turrets and uh, other sort of uh, like summon abilities to kind of throw at the enemies there. So I'm really liking it. Uh, I have a few friends that are, uh, you know, want to go on the co-op journey. And I think, David, you mentioned you might have some interest. So maybe we'll play that in the, the very near future. Hey, if you have Game Pass, just try it. If it's not your game, it's not your game. Like, it's why, so, you know. Man, Game Pass is so good. I was so impressed with getting stuff like Outriders onto that. Like, that's that game can only do so much more better being on Game Pass than if if it launched without it. There's something really funny going on on, like, Twitter about Game Pass is that, like, the new thing is don't subscribe to Game Pass. It hurts studios. You don't get to keep the games. Don't you want to buy the game and keep it instead? That's so dumb. Yeah, there was some of that going on, and it was like, I mean, yeah, if you want the game... Well, it's like, these are the same people that have netflix and shit like that so it's like oh don't you want to own the movie don't you want to own every movie you've ever watched isn't that something you want but like the thing is the studios that have come out and talked about game pass like granted it's not all of them but the ones that have spoken about it have been like we made more money with game pass so like we got the game pass money and then people went and bought the game after playing it on game pass None of them are forced into Game Pass. So, like, if they're doing it, they're doing it for the great deal they get themselves. Do you know what I mean? So, like, they're coming out of it with a positive. You have to imagine that's why MLB The Show is coming to Game Pass. Well, that's really interesting for the fact that that's a Sony party-made game that they're going to be getting money off microtransactions on Xbox. 
Oh, and here's the other argument is like, oh, I, I'm a Sony person and I bought the new Dark Souls game, or I think it was a remaster of Dark Souls, Demon Souls. I bought Demon Souls and it was $70 and I haven't bought another game for six months. I'm like, well, you could have Game Pass for six months. It's the same cost. Yeah. Buying one game gets you six months of Game Pass at 60 bucks. Unless you're like Game Pass Ultimate and then it's just five bucks more a month. Well, some people will just play the one game for six months straight. Do you know what I mean? So it all depends on what you're into. Honestly, that was me. Like, I, I didn't really venture too far out of Halo for a long time. And it wasn't really until, like, the beginning of the Xbox One generation that I start, like, dabbling in some other games. But, yeah, I, I was kind of like, all right, I'll buy, like, maybe three games a year with one of those pretty much a guaranteed Halo if that's on a, on a consistent cycle. But then now that Game Pass is out, it's like, all right, well, then now I don't really buy games anymore and I'll just play whatever's on Game Pass and I could try new things and that just works for me. I haven't really bought a game. Like the only game that I've actually bought that was on Game Pass is Remnants from the Ashes. And the only reason I did that is because, yes, I want to own that game if it ever leaves Game Pass because I enjoyed it so much when I discovered it on Game Pass. And it has like DLC and all this other kind of stuff. And so I felt that I should buy this game because I do want to own it. And I was able to get it at a discount. And so, I don't know, I spent maybe 30 bucks on this game, whereas I've already poured in a good amount of hours. And it's like, like if, if you want to own your games, then just go buy your games. But don't like tell people that Game Pass is not a good deal or it's a scam because it's not. It's just a different play style. And some people want the luxury of spending 120 bucks a year and playing hundreds of games throughout that year. I, I feel like anyone who actually believes that, you know, is a, is a bit ignorant, I guess. Like, I don't, I'm not sure people actually believe that Game Pass is, oh, it's awful, it's bad for everyone. It's like, no. <laughs> I don't think the majority of them do. But the thing for it for me is, I don't have to spend money on Microsoft games anymore, so I can buy more games of other things that I wouldn't have played. And I also get to play a load of games that I never would have touched. Like, when I got Game Pass Ultimate, I played What Remains of Edith Finch and, like, a another fucking half dozen walking simulators because it was like, I would never play these otherwise, but I am absolutely going to play all these now and just work my way through them. And then I've been on a bit of a lull lately, but, like, I still have it for the first-party games that I want to go and play, so... In a month, if I decide I want to play a load of shit again, I can turn through the Game Pass menu and go like, fuck it, let's try this. What's the worst? I also think it helps, because I think a lot of us get into like the gaming ruts, right? Where it's like, none of the games I want to play, I re- like. you don't really want to play something. You sit down and you're like, I guess I could play Halo, or you know, I guess I could play this new game that came out, but oh, you know. I think Game Pass really helps, because then you can just put on Life is Strange or something where you don't have to put too much effort into the game. It's just almost like watching a movie. And then that can kind of ease you back in. I absolutely played Division for the past three weeks on autopilot. I wasn't playing it to have fun. I was just playing it to do something. I was like, I know all of this and I'm just on complete autopilot. I've done that so much. It's just like, I'm playing this game because this is the routine that I do. I sit down and I play this game so much every day, but... I'm not actually having any fun anymore. I'm just doing this because this is what I've been doing. 
It's also great for like just achievement whoring. I've just gone online and looked up easy gamer score games and just seen what's on. There's some great channels out there that just that go break down like Game Pass and like this game is a thousand gamer score in twenty minutes. I'm like fuck it, give it to me. I need that hit of one thousand G's that I can get within like half an hour or so. You're like a crack addict. It's it's been it's been nice, Chris, uh, for those for those little hits. Do you know what I mean that's the same those walking simulators like Aaron said, like what remains of Edith Finch. Surprisingly great game that I would have never touched if it wasn't for Game Pass and I wanted those gamer scores. Yeah, I loved it and it was just like I, I wouldn't probably have bought it because I'd heard good things about it, but I would have been like, nah, I'll just save my money. But it was there, so I just played it and had fun. Anyway. Aaron, you've also been playing some State of Decay 2. Talk to me about the State of Decays. I took a notion to go and play this again because my nephew has spent the last week telling me about a type of game he wants to play and he basically was describing an open world zombie survival game and I went, we have a game for you, but it may terrify the fuck out of you. So I fired it on today to show him the game and the first zombie that appeared with red eyes, he noped the fuck out of the room and that was that. <laughs> he he disappeared and I was like, I'm I'm kind of enjoying this again, so I think I might be back on it. The other thing I'd started this week, you see, was I, I knew I'm in my gaming rut because I went back to Star Trek Online. That was like my my warning that things were bad. No! How could you? Aaron, it's been so long. I know. I logged in. I looked at my dreadnought and went, ooh, they've added an experimental slot that I can unlock for money. I might do that. And then I double-checked that my clan hadn't kicked me, but I'm safe. I just logged back in and went, hello, people. Haven't seen you in a year. And then I sort of got sidetracked with State of Decay. So I think I might bounce back and forth between these for a while. The thing I like about State of Decay 2 that I didn't notice is there is four-player co-op on State of Decay 2, but you just turn it on from the menu in your game and you can just have it drop in, drop out for friends. Well, that's cool. Yep, you can just leave it on and then when your friends come in, they just inhabit one of your other... I assume they inhabit one of your other like villi- or villagers. They don't come in as themselves. I don't think they do. No, I think they take one of your other characters because you can swap between like your settlers. Is the main story where, like, you have a specific person you play as, is it? No, you start the game, when you start a new game, it auto-generates, like, three people, and you can cycle through them till you get three that you're happy with. So, yeah, they could easily bounce in as themselves, let's say, and you would just be another random person. I I think, yeah, they'll bounce in as, like, one of your three characters or one of your four. I'm not 100% sure, or maybe it just generates them a random body. And then I think it's kind of like Animal Crossing. They can do some stuff and gather resources. Careful, get down, cross it down. Animal Crossing. I know, I know, I know. They can't make like additions to your settlement. They can't change stuff, but they can go out and run missions and do shit like that. So I'm going to play about with it and see what it's like. And it's on Game Pass, so if anyone wants to play it, they can come and help me kill zombies because it's just there. Are there cats? Uh, I haven't seen any wildlife so far. Oh, so you can't have cat villagers? No, sorry, no cats, no (laughs) no animal villagers. That's not Animal Crossing at all. (laughs) You you can get a cat in Assassin's Creed, Krista. Oh, can you? In Valhalla, and and the cat stays on your boat and is is on your boat all the time with you. Oh, shit. Can you you name the cat? Sure. I'm going to name it Spaghetti. 
cat. I got the wolf. I got the dog. I got the fox, even. I didn't know there was a cat. There's a cat, yeah. Right, now I've got to go and look for this fucking animal. Jesus. Go get it. That DLC's out this month. I know, end of the month. Can't wait for that. We're going to go to Ireland in Vanhalla. Are you going to go to Dublin and just, like, dox yourself? That's exactly what it is. You go to Dublin. I can't wait. I can't wait to go find my house. Krista, it's the most outside we can get at the minute. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. God, let me tell you, here in Florida, it's just completely normal now. Like, most of my family have gotten their vaccines, and I'm still waiting on my second one. So we're just, like, hanging out now. (laughs) That's great. Well done. So, moving on to the actual meat of the show and going to get ourselves back into some Halo stuffs. We have a, a dossier for you guys on, like we said, the faces of Oni. So, Aaron, you're going to take us through some of the highlighted characters that we have. Um, these are some pretty important kind of quote-unquote peoples. So, take it away, buddy. All right. This has been a slog of a script to get ready. Little behind the scenes, the current script is nine pages long, and this is the cut-down version. Jesus Christ. I'm going to do my best to speed through these a little bit. So, yep, we are going to do the Faces of Oni. Now, we have picked three key figures. There are others, but these are the one that's most likely to be an infinite and the other two important ones. So, little bit of background. Uh, Oni is the intelligence service of the UNSC, if you didn't already know. It was founded in 2178. Its roles include fleet observation, propaganda, espionage, clandestine reconnaissance, and advanced research. The agency is widely known for using subterfuge, deception, and manipulation in defense of humanity to accomplish its goals. Additionally, some key Oni projects are the Spartan Program, Project Mjolnir, and the, the investigation of Forerunner sites, the most noticeable or notable of which is Trevelyan, uh, aka Onyx. The key faces of Oni, the first one we're going to cover is Veronica Durr, or Veronica Ander, because I didn't know that was her middle name. She was born December 4th, 2515, so that makes uh, Durr 45 ish when Infinite happens. She's looking pretty good because she's in her. Late 30s, early 40s in ODST? Everyone in Halo's far too old for how they look. I mean, technically the ODST graphics don't look great anymore. (laughs) Well, that is true. There there is a little bit of, like, scary Halo 3 Johnson going on. Oh, I wish they would remaster the faces. I'm just like, oh, it's scary what's going on. They're a little bit rough around the edges. What happened to handsome Nathan Fillion? Having said that, though, she does look really... Does look a lot like Trisha Helfer, so like, it looks pretty good. You, if you want sexy Nathan Fillion, you go to Halo Five. Always. Why'd they make him so handsome? <laughs> because he's a beautiful man. That's why. <laughs> he's always been that handsome. Veronica's home world is the world of Actium. It was a densely populated inner colony until it was discovered by the Covenant in May 2545 and was glassed after a month-long battle with the UNSC. Durr's physical traits are she is 5 foot 7, 153 pounds. She has blonde hair and blue eyes. She is a captain in Oni Section 1, that's Intelligence Gathering. Service number 739983849 VD. And... Small bit of trivia I found on Halopedia. 
Dur was playable in ODST, making her the first playable female character in Halo outside of the female option in multiplayer. Wow. Yes, so we had to go the whole way until ODST before we got a playable woman with a name. And now we've got loads of them. Actually, we don't. Not playable ones, anyway. Palmer's technically playable in the Spartan Assault stuff. And who else is playable? That's about it. You can play a female Noble Six. I suppose it's Halo 5 multiplayer if you're not Chief or Locke or co-op. Yeah, in the co-op. Yeah, you can play as Tanaka or Vale or Kelly and Linda. Right, so we have some history for Dur. We're going to skim through some of this because some is less important than others. Dur graduated from an unspecified naval academy and led to her eventual posting in Oni. At some point, she served as the intelligence officer on the UNSC semi-name. Only wanted to include that because, once again, fantastic ship names all the way. Durr first met the lovely Edward Buck while on shore leave in 2545 in Castellaneta over Saturn. They had a dirty week away together. Then Buck figured out she was Oni and the whole relationship fell apart. Uh, yes, big O there. Uh, at some point in the relationship, they like were back and forth and in and out. Buck proposed to Durr and Durr didn't give him an answer. Sad moment for Buck. Well, there was the whole um, talk to me when, when we win this war kind of thing of like she left him, told him to go. Wasn't that, was that, that was an ODST, I think. That comes in ODST, but like by, by the time we get to ODST, Buck's been like holding on to this rejection for years and kind of simmering on it. She did turn him, well, she, not that she turned him down, she just didn't answer him. And then she ghosted him for a while on and off. Well, it wasn't that long because actually the next year Veronica reappears in 2546. She acquires an ODST squad, namely Alpha 9, to go and retrieve important research from a laboratory. And this is Lethbridge's headquarters in the town of Belisk. You may remember this from our Infinity Heavy Hitters episode because this is part of Palmer's history as well, so we'll not go too far into this. The short version is... Durr needed this research acquired without the Covenant figuring it out. So rather than do the usual UNSC thing of tell them and they would bunker down in the facility and then the Covenant would realize there was something there, she sent Alpha 9 in on a sneaky mission to collect it and she sent Palmer Squad Gamma 6 to be the decoys. And Buck gets the job done, acquires the data, and then on the way out he overhears on the radio that... Palmer's squad is down to a handful of members and Palmer's in charge and they're getting their asses kicked. So he acquires a truck and goes and saves Palmer's ass. The rest of her squad gets killed. Dur isn't very happy with him. She threatens to have him disciplined for insubordination, but nothing ever comes of it. And then the next time they meet up is the Battle of uh, New Mombasa and that is the events of ODST. We'll not go too far into this because if you've played ODST, you kind of know all this. But that takes place on October 20th, 2552. So a few years after the Battle of Sargosa. And long story short, the end of that battle is that they acquire Virgil. 
Buck realizes he still has a thing for Durr. Durr realizes she still has a thing for Buck. And they decide that when the war's over, love will win over everything else. That leads us on to the next time we see Durr again is actually the legendary ending in ODST. And this is the interrogation of Virgil. So that's that scene where you see Durr and Alpha 9. They're on the Keto Terminus Space Tether Station. And Lord Hood sends Sergeant Johnson to go and try and get some information out of Virgil because Oni and Dare aren't having much success. And Plain Talking Johnson gets Virgil to give him some information to help him get Chief back when he comes back to Earth. They were trying to interrogate Virgil for information about Truth and his fleet before he arrived in the Dreadnought, but they only had two days and that didn't go so well. They didn't get too much out of him. Oh, the only important note to mention here is that this kind of leads on to Buck and Durr's like getting back together because Durr keeps Buck updated on what's happening to Virgil after this stage when they're redeployed. So she lets him know that they haven't dissected the poor little guy or done anything too dodgy to him. And then that takes us into life after the war with the Covenant. So February 2553, Buck and Durr travel to Sundown for some shore leave and some kinky time, and then June comes in and third wheels the fuck out of it. He doesn't really third wheel it, he just kind of cock blocks it. <laughs> I, I was going to try and be nice to him, he just... Nah, he, he interrupts. He definitely does, he lands in and offers Buck a chance to be a Spartan 4. Uh, interestingly enough, if he had have said yes, he would have been in the same class as Palmer. Boo Palmer. Sorry I had to do that. I'm contractually <sighs> obligated to Boo Palmer. I agree and support us booing. Great. You may continue, <laughs> Anyway, Durr tries to change Buck's mind, but he, he won't have his mind changed on it. So in 2554, Alpha 9 is sent out on another mission. This one is to Draco 3. Veronica talks Buck into going on this mission because Buck is one of the last natives of Draco 3 still alive because he thankfully was in the UNSC whenever the planet was glassed. He grew up there. It sounds like a very boring sort of a place. He describes it as kind of like a... If you were going to picture, you know, Thor's life in the MCU when he's in Iceland and just fishes, it sounds like that kind of a miserable existence. He left, joined the ODSTs, thankfully wasn't there when the planets glassed, but now they're trying to resettle the planet and the United Rebel Front have attempted to take it over. Buck goes in, Alpha 9 goes in. Long story short, the rookie gets yeeted and they eventually succeed in their mission. They're now down a rookie. Buck's very sad, but the end of this is that it eventually leads to Buck changing his mind and signing up to... The Spartan program. So the next thing, Buck becomes a Spartan for, we'll not go too far into this because a lot of this is new blood territory. It's a big book to kind of sum up, but he goes to Mars, he becomes a Spartan. Durr meets him again on the Infinity and lets him know that Sadie and Virgil have been kidnapped. They have been captured by the United Rebel Front. Buck takes his new Spartan Alpha 9 to go and save the day. 
finds out Mickey's a traitor, beats the fuck out of Mickey, puts him in jail. Stupid Mickey. Yeah, screw that guy. And the next big thing we get with Durr is the start of the created conflict. So this is after Earth falls to the created in 2558. Durr's reunited with Buck on the Infinity. And this, this is right after Halo 5, too. This is. This is bad blood. They need to go and convince the United Rebel Front on Cassidy 3 to reveal the secrets of their Forerunner cloaking technology because they are hiding from the created. There's not too much to go on Durr's end of things here. They discuss the relationship a few times, including the possibility of getting married. They agreed it was a bad idea in the past, but now Durr is starting to reconsider it. Towards the end of that mission, Buck almost falls to his death out of a condor because Buck spends a lot of his time falling out of the back of aircraft. The man has magnetic boots and he never turns them on. It's ridiculous. And when he almost fell, he finally admits that he should have married Durr all along. So they end up having a quickie wedding on the Infinity in the bar presided over by Roland. They get married in front of uh, Osiris and Alpha 9. They're the wedding guests. And they lived happily ever after, Aaron. Yes, they do, because the last we see of Durr <laughs> is that she is still aboard the Infinity. By the time we get to Operation Wolf on Reach, she appears to be running the only operations on the Infinity. She takes the intelligence information that Veda and the ferrets pass on to Fred. Durr agrees to keep Fred updated on any information about the ferrets because he's a little bit upset that he thought they were dead for quite some time. And then it turns out they've just been really deep undercover. And there's like a line where Fred's like, see, I knew you weren't as scary as everyone says. And Durr just goes, oh, no, I am. And walks away from him. Yeah, like a badass. This kind of jumps slightly ahead to our other two characters that we're going to talk about, but is it safe to assume that Veronica is like the the like liaison diplomat person, like the, the representative of Oni on Infinity, given where BB and Osman, I guess, are or aren't in in the present day timeline? Pretty senior, I imagine, but she's a still like on the ground operative, so it's kind of hard to say like how high up she really is. I've been wondering for a while if she may just be like the highest ranked Oni operative on Infinity because I kind of got the feeling I don't even know if she's in contact with Osman at this stage because we'll get down to it as we go here but we don't even know if Osman's made it back into the galaxy yet because I don't think anyone knows where she is. That's kind of what I figured but i would also not be surprised if somehow osman and dare have a, a a way to communicate given that it is only like i feel like there could be some super secret way and it's and it's just kind of this you know backdoor operation that that saren is or you know that osman is running and since dare is you know and with infinity she's able to like carry it out while osman is safe so I guess we could talk about that a little bit once we talk about BB and Osman. It's very interesting that that's kind of the dynamic that Dare has kind of been put in and uh, and kind of like overseeing. It seems like she's very much been put in the position of being the face of Oni on the Infinity, which we'll discuss at the end may have a relevance to Halo Infinite. 
Right, next up we've got BB. We're going to save Osmond to the end because there's so much information on Osmond, it's ridiculous. Or Osmond. Right, so BB, or Black Box, is his formal name, was commissioned on August 17th, 2552. At the time of Halo Infinite, he would be approximately eight years old. That's a worrying age. Uh-oh. He did! But it may not be all that it seems, because we'll get into this when we do his history. So, BB was activated on Mars. His physical traits. He is a blue cube with a male persona. Occasionally he likes to decorate it, and sometimes he has Huragok tentacle arms for sign language. <laughs> His service number is BBX89951. Personality. BB is noted as being incredibly sarcastic and egotistical and fully comfortable with being an entity of pure intellect and has an innate sense of superiority over not only his human creators, but also other AIs. Are you dropping the big spoiler on this? Big spoiler about who he is? Yeah. Oh, it's it's on the next section down, yep. Okay, spoiler alert. It's, it's a big one, once you get to it. Yep, we're going to drop it all. If you haven't read the Kilo 5 books at this stage, sorry, Oren, you're out of luck. <laughs> it's a huge reveal, oh my god. Okay, go ahead, sorry. Due to this, Black Box chooses not to represent himself with a humanoid avatar like most smart AIs and instead appears as a featureless box. Possibly due to his programming being based on the brain of Dr. Albin, who we'll go to in a minute, Black Box has an intense antipathy and disgust for Catherine Halsey and another remnant of his brain donor, BB also possesses a fascination for cognitive psychology and has a tendency of analysing the behaviour of other humans and other species in depth. We have a few details for BB's donor as well. He was Dr. Graham Albin. He died March 2532. BB's donor brain was on ice for a long time. 20 years. Dr. Albin was a neurosurgeon and psychologist for the Spartan 2 program. We will get into all of this. We do explain Dr. Albin and his history as we go, but there is a lot to cover because everything pretty much that we have for BB comes from the Kilo 5 trilogy. Going into the details, Black Box is a fourth generation smart AI created from the brain of Dr. Albin, a senior researcher associated with Oni Special Research, and a close friend of Margaret Parangoski. Albin committed suicide out of guilt for his part in the Spartan 2 program and requested that his brain be kept for the AI donor program and used as an AI that would support the Spartan 2s. Very important because this is why BB would eventually be created. On January 26th, 2553, Parangoski assigned the newly created BB to Saren Osman and her Black Ops team Kilo 5, which was tasked with creating Sanghili Insurrection and locating Catherine Halsey on Onyx. He is primarily stationed or was stationed aboard the Port Stanley. So, we go into, there's a few th- major points to cover from the Kilo 5 trilogy. BB's kind of always there, so. If we cover absolutely every little thing, we'll be here all day. One of the interesting first things BB does in this is there's a Captain Hogarth in Oni and he's trying to dig up shit so that he can get rid of Parangoski and take over as director of Oni. And he has his personal AI called Harriet. 
and Bibi realises that Harriet is snooping round in Parangoski's files and at first he just feeds her misinformation to piss off Hogarth but eventually he triggers a budget overspend in Hogarth's files and sets the accountants on him because he decided that was the way to go. This gets Hogarth audited and this eventually came to light in the... I believe it was the loot crates, but by 2558, Hogarth was terminated. I don't know whether or not that was part of BB ruining his career, but I think we can guess what terminated means. Black Box assisted Kilo 5 with the seizing of the Covenant cargo ship. Piety successfully capturing uh, Hurigok requires adjustment, and this begins the UNSC's love affair with lots and lots of engineers. Because they didn't have too many. They only had Virgil up until this point. Do you think uh, Virgil was just very sad and alone all by himself? No, he was having the time of his life helping people doing things. He had a great time. And he had Sadie with him for the most part. So he was great. Oh, well, that's true. I was going to say, are they like social creatures? Like pigs or something? Do they need to be kept in groups or they get depressed? I don't know. (laughs) Actually, that's probably true. Because by the end of this book, we do meet a crazy lone Hurricock. So... It's probably best to keep them in pairs, minimum. We have a couple of other bits here. Uh, later in the Kilo 5 series, they enter Shield World 006. They recover Blue Team and arrest Dr. Halsey. During this process, one of the members of Kilo 5, Vaz, learns about the history of the Spartan program, and he goes to shoot Dr. Halsey in her prison cell. But BB manages to talk him down that it's she's not worth it. And he does it less out of concern for Halsey and more out of concern for Vaz because Vaz becomes one of BB's friends even though BB is very much a sarcastic person who would never admit that he has a fondness for humans. But he absolutely does and that leads back to his donor personality very much being invested in the psychology of the meatbags around him. So the next big thing that BB goes through is March 2553. He's on Sang Helios with Evan Phillips. He is in a little lapel mic slash camera. There's a bombing on Sang Helios while he's there. The little device takes some shrapnel damage. Phillips tries to fix it and triggers a little safety protocol on the fragment and it wipes all of BB's like personality and classified information. And this leads us to the stupid BB fragment and eventually leads to like a whole inner turmoil with BB about trying to because BB's a fourth generation AI he well other AIs have this ability too but he can split off pieces of himself from his whole like entire core existence and have them pretty much operate independently but now that this piece was damaged he has to reintegrate it and he describes it a little bit as like brain damage He's very apprehensive about the whole thing. He eventually convinces Phillips to go with him to speak to Halsey about it because there was like one case before where Halsey managed to delete memories of an AI. But Halsey basically says there was no way to do it and she tricked Cortana because once upon a time in Cortana's existence, Halsey wipes some of her memories, but... I don't quite follow the technical specifics of it, but she basically says it's not possible. BB eventually bites the bullet, reintegrates his fragment, learns to live with the fact that he now suffers or he has suffered sort of the equivalent of human brain damage and doesn't know everything that the fragment used to know. And it weirdly 
it makes him a little more human because he can empathize more with the people around him. Another big thing that happens to him in the end of the Kilo 5 books is he does like a neural link with Naomi and uses her Spartan records to jog her memories of her life before the Spartan program and specifically the night she was kidnapped. And it's a really traumatic, harrowing scene because in the start of these books, you get the scene from the point of view of her father when she's kidnapped by the Oni team. Oh, let's not talk about that. (laughs) Holy shit. It's haunting. The intro to that book is just this couple losing their minds as their daughter disappears. And then at this stage, we actually see it from the point of view of Naomi. Don't do it, Aaron. Skip it. It's too hard. It's too tough. (laughs) Basically, Baby does a good thing for her and helps her come to terms with it and accept a few things. The last big point in the Kilo 5 books is the battle on Pious Inquisitor. BB tries to do his AI thing to take over Pious Inquisitor. He gets stopped. Eventually, there's a big fight. The ship is lost. And just before the ship is lost, he has a very heartwarming interaction with Naomi's dad. I won't spoil that in case you get to it later. But BB's a good chap. That's the end result of that. He does a good thing for Naomi's dad. And it's very emotional. Right. The next time we see BB again is in Saint's Testimony. This is January 17th, 2558. We've covered this a couple of times. We have a book club on it, so we'll not get too into it. The short version is Iona, the AI that is in that comic book series with Black Team that I can't remember. Bloodline. She has come to the end of her seven-year life cycle. She's ready for dispensation but she has appealed to the United Nations Humanitarian Council. So Bibi and Roland are assigned to like basically do a mock trial so that researchers and scientists can study it. And this whole thing finishes with Iona being put into the equivalent of AI stasis where she's in a permanent dream state. The end of this is Roland has some guilt about his part in faking the trial, but Bibi reveals that He actually thinks it's been a good thing and he hopes that someday humans will be able to use the information from the trial to realize that humans and AIs should be considered equals, which is starting to hint at something coming down the line with AIs. Nice. The next big feature from BB is Hunt the Truth. So this is set in 2558. We don't know exactly when, but it's sometime around the launch of the guardians bb features for a couple of episodes it's a shorter season season two isn't it if i'm remembering off the top of my head yeah it's only like six episodes bb's in this again he is back to being a voice uh, coming out of a button on someone's jacket i'll not go too into it because we've covered this before you can go and listen to season two the short version of this is bb tries to help the main character and focus of season two who eventually dies and her brain is collected for the AI program. And the end of season two of Hunt the Truth is BB quizzing and interrogating the newly formed AI about what she remembers. What she remembers about how she died and the end of the mission, I think it's just a general recap. That's, I think, isn't that the conceit for season two? This is her telling the story back to BB. 
So that's how it ends. He tells her that at some point she will be assigned as an AI, and until then she just has to like chill out. Is this like oh, is this like BB in his entirety, or is this like a fragment of him? Because does he just like go off and hang out with Maya, or is it like I figure he has to do his only thing with Osman? BB is kind of omnipresent. He does his only thing everywhere. You see, BB has access to only forerunner communications technology, which gives him the ability. They describe it in Helopedia as almost lagless communication between his fragments. <laughs> he can be spread out all over the place, so while he's with Osman doing his own shit, he's also here talking to Maya about her new existence as an AI, and he's also off with Phillips talking about him and all this other shit. So when you go through the Kilo 5 books, BB very much is like the man doing everything all the time. And he does say this a couple of times in the books. Like, I think at one point he says it to Osman because she says to him, like, you, you could run Port Stanley without us. Like, what do you really need the meat bags for? Or what do you really need the crew for? And he goes like, well, sometimes I need the meat bags to change a light bulb. <laughs> he also, I think at one point he realizes that with the Hurricock on board, he could basically be self-sufficient and wouldn't need the humans. But again, BB is on the side of the AI Council which believe that, you know, humans have to make their own mistakes and you just have to help them along and guide them and you can't, like, control their destiny, which will also be relevant for this next part. This is Rossback's world. This is the last time we see BB in the Halo universe. Or to, to date. To date, yes. This is the... It's left on a cliffhanger, which is really upsetting. This is the present. 2558, the created conflict is happening... Earth is just about to fall to the Guardians and BB puts a plan in motion almost immediately once he realizes what's happening. He evacuates Osman and Hood from Bravo 6 in Sydney. He gets them on a prowler and evacs them from Earth just before the Guardian takes everyone out. They're evacuating around the same time that Infinity is bailing out. On the way out, Osman is told to collect a briefcase, which turns out to have several of the AIs that were in Bravo 6 and kind of run Oni's operations, including himself. They're transported to Rossback's world. It's a small world that BB discovered two years ago and hid off the books and made like a, in case of emergency, shelter on. It's a log cabin in this forest on this planet that no one knows about, where Hood, Osman, and one Spartan 4 are now stationed. And the end of this is that BB tells Osman she activates him with her data pad and talks to him from the briefcase. And he basically says, I got the other AIs before they had a chance to decide whether or not they were going to accept Cortana's offer. We're here in the briefcase. The briefcase is armed with an explosive. So you've got to decide, do you want to offer us the chance to possibly join Cortana or self-destruct us and prevent the created from gathering the information. This story ends with Osman sitting in the woods with her finger on the trigger of the briefcase trying to decide should she give them the choice or should she hit the button and chuck them away? No way she hits the button. No way. I don't think she will either because by the end of the Kilo 5 books, and this is several years before 2558, 
she is very attached to BB. And like she knows he's going to die someday, but I think there's something different between killing him at his seven years and killing him prematurely. Well, I do think that there's there's a risk that I think she's willing to take to where at, at least at this point in twenty five fifty eight, all of all that she knows is that Cortana has these guardians and they're just spread across the galaxy. You know, in a year's time when we kind of catch up to what's going on with Infinite. Osmond could be in a situation to where she feels that it's necessary to keep BB along to fight against the created, even though he's approaching that eight-year life cycle. And whatever whatever risk that he has for, you know, rampancy or whatnot. The only handy thing about it is that BB technically is only five by the time he ends up in the briefcase. This is why we've mentioned him, because there is still the possibility that he can feature in Infinite. If he's in the briefcase, he's not active and he's not aging. Therefore, he, even though he's technically eight, he's still five. We're getting into like Spartan cryosleep territory where John's fucking 675 years old, but the body of a 40 year old. <laughs> Johnson's the same. Johnson's like 72 and built like a 35 year old because he spent so much time in cryo. Johnson's the same age as Lord Hood through all the major Halo games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just think about that. That's crazy. I think he's actually a little older than Lord Hood, and Horry Hood's like super crusty old man. Thanks, Halo 2. BB could still come back, but we will discuss that at the end, because we are now going to move to the big one here. This is Saren Osman, born Saren Selick. Referred to as Oz by her friends that she doesn't have shot. She was born in 2511. And that would make her 49 at the time of Infinite, give or take. Yeah, 48, 49, depending upon the the month. She's roughly the same age as all the other Spartan too. So she's in the same sort of age as Chief and all the rest of them. She was born on the colony of Cascade in the city of St. Malo. She is six foot three, 191 pounds, black hair, brown eyes. She is an admiral. She is also Cinconi, which is Commander-in-Chief of the Office of Naval Intelligence. Service number 39489-72738SO, formerly S019. She was a Spartan too, big spoilers. We're going to go through her history. The one bit of trivia we have for Osman, she is the highest ranked Spartan of any generation. Go get him, girl. She's the only admiral. <laughs> she also runs freaking Oni. <laughs> she runs Oni, yes. <laughs> Margaret Parangoski thought there was a delicious irony in putting one of Halsey's failed Spartan 2s in charge of the very division that created them. As we go through this, we're going to cover that Osman was very much the pet project of Parangoski through her career. There's a lot to cover. I'll try and keep it sort of brief because we'll be here all night otherwise. Saren Selick was born in 2511 on the colony of Cascade. Her mother, Pinar Selick, was a prostitute and drug addict who neglected her daughter. The situation was reported to child services multiple times. Saren's teacher was one of the few humans that paid any special attention to her. Alcmini? She fed Saren in school, so Saren would have been like primary school, four or five, six, I think, maybe by the time she was kidnapped. 
In 2517, yes, six, she was abducted for the Spartan 2 program. Fun fact, Saren and Soren were the only two Spartans that didn't warrant a clone because no one missed them. How sad is that? Yeah, that's so freaking sad. <laughs> that's fucked up. I hope I get a clone when I get kidnapped. No, you don't, Crystal. You don't want to put your, your folks through that. And Trent, would he even notice? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> oh, that's just Krista playing video games again. <laughs> that's fine. That's totally. He'll notice normal. when the clone's skin all sloshes off because it disintegrates. <laughs> that's weird. She's dead. Oh, what happened? It'll be like the Santa Claus two. <laughs> I'll just turn old like in a minute. Can we also give a shout out to the only agent that kidnapped her, who was named Mister Teddy? I don't know if that's a code name or not, but it's a bit creepy if it is. Hey, kid. My name's Mr. Teddy. You want to come be a Spartan? <laughs> Mr. Teddy's just out there bundling kids into vans. That's slightly menacing. Right. We'll not cover the Spartan program specifically. We will mention that Saren only received some of the augmentations before her body rejected them. She received the biochemical and genetic enhancements, but she never received the other augmentations. She has no super bones or super strength. Her body rejected these. She washed out with the others. Oni took custody of Saren after her washout. She was 14 at the time. They took her out of the Spartan program before the funeral ceremony that you see in Fall of Reach and the animated version and the graphic novel and the 400 other times that we've seen that. They rebuild Saren. She's never quite 100%, but she's pretty much a fully functional human now. And apart from the fact that she's six foot three, you wouldn't know that she was a Spartan. But I think it's a pretty big clue that she's six foot three. I don't know. There's some pretty tall women in the, the world today. Oni put her through her education and put her into the commander's program. Admiral Parangoski takes a particular interest. She's leading this whole thing. So she takes Saren on as her protege. The Admiral grooms her to become her successor. It's all predetermined and predestined. This is very much librarian level stuff where Parangoski says, you will become my successor. Don't worry about the rest of them. We'll sort them out. So she focuses on training Saren to carry on her legacy would be the best way to describe it. And like I said, she finds it especially appealing that Oni will be led by one of its, like, failed soldiers. For a few years during the end of the war, Osmond serves in Oni as a field agent. She goes on various operations against the Covenant and other humans. By 2553, Osmond is now a captain. She's picked by Parangoski to lead the Kilo 5 team. Her mission is to cause the Sanghili insurrection and the Civil War. Also to find out where Halsey went. There's a lot to cover in the Kilo 5 books. I summed it up in about 15 bullet points, so if anyone wants to jump in at any of these that interest them, please shout out. So we have the first one where Saren gets Baby. He is now her AI. He is her attack dog for the remainder of his life. She's also given command of Port Stanley. She assembles the Kilo 5 team, which is a mix of one professor, three ODSTs, and a Spartan 2, Naomi. She has to come to terms with meeting Naomi and going, Oh, hi Naomi, I'm not dead. 
and it takes Naomi a sad amount of time to remember who she is. It's like, oh, I kind of forgot about you a little bit. Which is yet another reason that they all hate uh, Halsey by the time this is over. She leads the operation to smuggle weapons to the like rebels in on Sanghelios through Avumed Telcam, who will later become known as the Bishop. She also is responsible for capturing Julian Dama, who would go on to be the mediocre protagonist in Spartan Ops <laughs> and get written out in the, <laughs> the intro cutscenes to Halo 5. She rescues Blue Team, the Ferrets, Tom and Lucy, Mendez and Halsey from Onyx and also has Halsey arrested and taken away to her prison on the Infinity. Nice. She is also there when Hood goes to Sanghelios to meet his new best buddy, the Arbiter, and begin the long peace process. This is where Hood invites Arbiter to the memorial service in Voy. So that's how he ends up there. Then the Sanghili Civil War kicks off, so Osmond has to go and rescue Phillips. They manage to do that without him getting killed. Then Hood and Parangoski come in the Infinity to save the Arbiter, while Osman works in the background to save some of Telcam's ships, because if Infinity takes out all the bad guys, the Civil War is over, and the Arbiter can rebuild the Elites. And it is very much Parangoski's belief that the Elites should never be in a position to harm Earth again, and that's why Osman is here destabilising all of Hood's hard work. We then go to the lovely world of Venezia, which will forevermore feature as the dodgy corner of the Halo universe. Pretty much. It's become the cantina of Halo. Like, that's the best way to describe <laughs> it. On Venezia is a certain man called Stafinsinski. He is Naomi's dad. He bought himself a warship to fly to Earth and find out what happened to his daughter because he was totally on the mark. Terrible, terrible plan. I don't know... You have to admire his balls. Like, he was just totally prepared. Uber balls, but, like, was never going to work. It was just a suicide mission. Probably would have gone that way anyway, but thankfully it never came to that. Osman and Naomi talk him into giving up the Inquisitor, but it all goes wrong when some KGR pirates try to steal the ship. Eventually the ship is lost, and Stafanzinski is, spoiler, presumed dead. After the battle, Osman eventually... There's a running theme through the Kilo 5 books where Osman hasn't read her file from the Spartan program days. She's had access to it ever since she's become a Captain Anoni, but she's never quite been willing to read it because she's not sure what it's going to contain. But eventually she decides to read it, so she learns about her teacher. She goes and visits her teacher because she finds out she's still alive and she has like a nice warm fuzzy moment with a human that actually cared for her. And she wasn't the complete reject that she thought she was. So you get like a, a warm, fuzzy ending there. After this, there are a few on and off appearances. Osman basically becomes the Samuel L. Jackson of the Halo universe and just keeps appearing and disappearing as she assembles her team. Last Light is when we see her again at the end of the novel. Blue Team are evacuating from Gao. This is the end of Operation Jovian Whistle. She is on board the owl as they escape and she is there to reassign the ferrets and veda lopez to the new ferret team this is our new pet project this is the formation of the ferret team and then we see the ferrets again in the necessary truth 
with Osman. She sends the ferrets on a training exercise against Oscar squad. Everything goes horribly wrong when they find out there's actually a spy there. A reporter gets killed. But Veda and the ferrets are able to wrap everything up to Osman's satisfaction. It's quite a good little short story. It's definitely worth reading. This is when we're first introduced to Dark Moon Enterprises, by the way, which will feature heavily in the novels. Osman makes another brief appearance at the start of Hunters in the Dark. That is March 2555. Osman is now an admiral and has taken Parangoski's place as the head of Oni. We don't know what's happened to Parangoski, by the way. We're not sure if she's alive or dead, but I'm willing to bet that Parangoski is immortal and will live on forever. Sounds about right. In this story, humanity discovers that the Halos are on a very, very slow countdown to detonate. She assembles a team to go through the portal to the Ark to stop it. Lord Hood butts in and makes sure that it is a combined team of UNSC and Sangheili forces. Uh, Osmond did not approve of this, but she gets overruled. After the events of Hunters in the Dark, Osmond would award Captain Annabelle Richards the Medal of Honor for her part in Fight on the Ark. We see Osmond again around the Halo 4 time now. We see her a couple of times. The first time is July 2555. Osmond is on the UNSC Security Council Committee that debriefs John after the events of Halo 4. That is the next 72 hours, the three issues in Escalation. They're probably the best three comics in that series because it's kind of mediocre. I'll agree with that. Black team get killed in it, so it's worth reading just for that. <gasps> Sorry, this is full of spoilers. You have to know this by now. You've got to be prepared. It's kind of the point of all these is to take everything at a high level. But if any of this tickles your fancy, go and get stuck into it because there's so much stuff on Osman. We actually also, during Halo 4, get to see Osman on screen for the first time. Yeah, that was exciting. Oh yeah, like if you've read the Halo 5 books, if you haven't read them... You see Osman's cameo in Spartan Ops and it doesn't really make much of a difference. But if you know the lore up to now, then you get really excited to see her. Fun fact on Halopedia, in the audiobooks, Osman has an Australian accent because she's lived in Sydney all her life. Whereas in Spartan Ops, she is an American because, of course, all the people in space are American. Then we get Osman again during the created Rise. So October 2558, as we said earlier, this is when BB has Osman and Hood evac'd from Bravo 6 before the Guardian attack. He secures himself and the other AIs in the briefcase. He informs Osman to collect it and she's got to get the fuck out. This is the first time we hear mention of Commander Spartan Rossback, who actually turns out is a secret persona that BB has created. Osman and Lord Hood evac to the roof where they get a lovely view of the Guardian as it arrives at, at Earth. There's Spartan or Zell is there with them and the three of them jump on the prowler and escape just as the Guardian attacks. The UNSC plateau is over Sydney attempting to attack the Guardian with its Mac gun. The Guardian, of course, swats it out of the sky, and one of the last things Osman thinks before she leaves Earth is that if the plateau hits Sydney, its core could detonate and destroy the entire city. We're left on the 
cliffhanger that there may be a big hole in Australia. The Prowler eventually arrives at the hidden world of Rossback's world, where there is a log cabin where Hood begins his slow descent into alcoholism, and Osmond decides that she's going to start jogging. She eventually takes the briefcase out into the woods. She has a heart-to-heart with BB about what's better for humanity. Should she give the AIs the option to defect to the created because she realizes she could send them via slip space to Cortana if they wanted to go, but in doing so they would give up the secrets of Oni? Or like BB, would they stay loyal to humanity and want to help them? This is the debate that Osmond now has and this is where we leave her sitting on a tree stump in the woods with this explosive briefcase trying to decide if she's going to kill her old friend or give him a chance to live and do something. What a great story. (laughs) I do love Osmond though. She's sweet. She is a very good character. You get an awful lot of development of her over the years. During the Kilo 5 books, she is a little less convinced that Oni have, like, the right way to do shit. But by the time you see her in Spartan Op, she is a cold-blooded motherfucker because she orders Halsey's execution almost without hesitation. She's definitely, like, ascended to full Oni mode by the time we leave off with her. She has a very strong relationship with BB, which is why this cliffhanger is really stressful. It's a good cliffhanger, though. I like where her character is right now. Same. She's a great character in a great position. She makes you like Oni. Like, you don't fully hate Oni. You might not root for Oni, but you'll root for Osman, which is kind of a a good distinction to to kind of make. And she's a great character to pull out, like, anywhere you kind of need her. So, like, she's kind of popped up in a lot of books and a lot of different places. And, you know, seeing her in Spartan Ops was pretty fucking cool. Just, you know, too bad about Spartan Ops. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole other conversation. We've had that conversation so many times, too. Right, so this leads us on to the big question of this episode, and then we'll wrap up. Like we've said with the previous episodes, do you think we're going to see any of these people in in Halo Infinite? And do you want to see any of them in particular in Halo Infinite? I think the, the one you're most likely to see is there, because we know she's on Infinity. I don't think you get Osmond and BB just from where they are. Unless, you know, the Infinity goes there, I mean... It seems like it's really out of the way to pull those characters in. Yeah, I feel the same way. It'd be really tough to integrate them into Halo Infinite. I agree. It would be cool to see BB, I guess, kind of fight or just combat the created, just because we know how influential and, you know, quote unquote powerful like BB is as a as an AI. But yeah, kind of wrapping our head around how they would do that just doesn't quite line up. And it, and it kind of makes for a perfect short story or other other type of story to, to kind of continue on with Rossbach world set up and just kind of go from there. But in terms of like physically appearing in Infinite, yeah, like we all kind of think there is kind of the, the, the most logical choice. But at the same time, like, you know, maybe not depending upon how inf- the Infinity is portrayed. But it could be cool to like, like there's these characters that you go up to and talk to to get missions or quests. There could be the Oni vendor, so to speak, that you go up to her to, you know, activate whatever next Oni related quest that you need to do. I like that. I like their different factions maybe giving you a different quest. It's like, yo, let's hijack a banished whatever so then Oni can study it. And like, there's the one 
don't tell Lasky, you know? Don't tell Palmer. I ain't gonna tell those people shit. I think I agree with you guys. I think Durr's definitely the most likely. I would like to see BB and Osman get some screen time or even audio log time would be kind of cool. But I do think, yeah, Durr seems to be set up to be the face of Oni on the Infinity if we have any dealings with the Infinity Infinite. So, like, that's really the key question is will they be about or will they be planet side or whatever? As a good quest giver, I could see it. I hold on to that hope that BB isn't eight years old technically and could still be alive because he is such a good character and I would like him to get some in-game love before this is all over. I'd hate to think the only time I'll ever see him brought to life was in season two of Hunt the Truth. That would make me a little bit sad. Very sad. BB's like one of the best AIs out there. He's so fantastic. He is, personally, I think, without a doubt, the best character in the Kilo 5 series. There is none in it that come close to him. He's fantastic. Anytime I listen back to the audiobooks, I find myself laughing more than a few times at lines and things that BB says. And I know a lot of that's got to do with the narrator, but he is a great character. He just has this great, witty, sarcastic charm about him the whole time, and it's very appealing. Jarrah's not too bad too, but she broke Buck's heart for a long time, so I'm that friend that holds a grudge for a while, so you made Buck sad. Yeah, we can't trust you for a while, you know. Well, they're married now, so like I might have to accept it, but I'll do it begrudgingly. <laughs> but like we said, I, I think, yeah, she's the most likely to feature, so I suppose watch this space and we'll see if we're right or not. Can't wait until the start of Infinite when in the open cutscene everyone on Infinity dies and that's the end of it. <laughs> Don't say that! You just jinxed it! Now Jeff's gonna get ideas. Yeah, don't give Jeff any ideas. I can see us being right going, yep, Dara was an Infinite. She got sucked out the side of the Infinity into space. That was that. That was the end of it. We will see how we go from there. Whew, right, that was a long one. It's trying to sum up the Kilo 5 books in less than 50 pages. It's a lot harder than it seems. Right. Our next character dossier in the series. This is going to be another monster of a one because this covers like (laughs) umpteen million years. The most novels. Yes, this covers the most novels and the most timeline. It's going to be ridiculous. We will be covering... Chakas slash three four three guilty sparks slash spark. <laughs> I'm guessing I'm the I'm assigned to that task. <laughs> Shit! You're volunteering. Brilliant. I don't have to write this one. That's fantastic. Oh, uh, it's guilty spark. I kind of have to, right? Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. As you can guess, we held off on doing guilty spark until point of light came out because we very much needed to know what happened to him. So this next character dossier will be big spoilers for point of light. So you have. One month to read that book if you haven't read it already and to catch up. Yeah, we're not kidding. Like, <laughs> we've got to talk about everything. If you need a list of materials, you've got to read the Forerunner trilogy and you've got to read all of the Kelly Gay novels. Get on that immediately. You've got a month. If you do it in audiobook form, not a problem. Right, I'm going to hand this back over to the host. Thank you all for joining us. Like we mentioned at the top of the show, you can find all of our episodes on our website, halopodcastwell.com. You can search for each kind of show on their own feed, and there is one kind of main feed that, that 
comes in a lot of the stuff together. If you want to listen to everything, you can go to the Halo podcast involved in your podcast service of choice. Please leave us a review if you can. Like I mentioned before, shout out to all our patrons. Head over to patreon.com for slash Halo podcast evolved to learn more. Finally, we do have a voicemail service. So should you wish to leave us a message, you can call us at 205 evolved. That's 205 386 5833. And with that, I have been your host, David. And until next time, evolve! Evolve!